everybody, welcome to Player 456, a Squid Game podcast. My name, as always, is Jack Shaw, and joining me is my friend and fellow Squid Game fanatic, Colin McMillan. How are you, man? Hi, mate. I'm good. Uh, I'm really good. Um, I've literally just finished watching episode 8, Frontman. Um, the shortest episode of the season by quite some distance, mate, but quite hard-hitting and a lot going on in it, and I'm very much looking forward to discussing it. How's things with you? You good? Yeah, I'm good, man, as well. I'm the same. I shed a I shed a tear again watching this. Just sitting watching it again, but we You're will just get such a, an you know what I'm talking beer, about. Aren't you? Yeah, that is it, man. That is it. I presume you know the the parts I'm talking about, but we'll we'll we'll, we'll get there. We will get there. So this is obviously episode eight. It's basically a, this. I think in a, a previous lifetime before Netflix would have either been padded out to forty forty five minutes or would have just been a part of the the last episode because it is just a build up to that really. I was going to say there's not a lot going on, there's hundreds going on, but you know what I mean. It's focusing on two things basically: people eating and somebody getting chased, and that's about it. But it's fascinating telling, man. I really enjoyed this episode second watch. Yeah, it's it's, it's really really good. Uh, it's it's almost all killer, no thriller in terms of there's. It's just two. There's, there's basically two stories left. There's the remaining three contestants, and there's. The front man and um, the people try to catch him, basically. And the episode does a good job of jumping between the two stories. I think we'll, t- we'll kind of take it a little bit differently, Jack. Why don't we discuss this, the front man start of things first and then yeah. focus on the, the players rather than jumping about too much? I think that's probably the best way to handle it with there being just two main storylines. But we spoke a little bit off air about the kind of advantage that filmmakers and TV show creators get now with Netflix and the other streaming services in that they don't have a 43 minute hit list that they need to make sure that their episodes fall into they don't they don't have these 15 16 minute trigger points where they have to make a, a suitable thing a suitable event happen that takes you into the advert break that sort of thing and it's all the better for it you just get the actual story the way it was intended with like you said earlier no filler no unnecessary nonsense just the story however long it takes and sometimes you get a slightly longer episode which is great and sometimes you get a shorter one and that's the kind of advantage that you get with the streaming services isn't it yeah 100 percent. i think this runs at about 27 28 minutes because i think the credits are nearly five minutes i don't know if that's been a i've not noticed actually if throughout the series that has been a thing the credits have been that long but in this episode definitely stops with about four or five minutes so it runs about 27 minutes which is a nice little thing because we are both kind of in a bit of a uh, sick bed basically we both got sore throats and stuff like that so this will be a little bit shorter this week before we wrap up next week now i was going to leave this until the end actually but i may as well cover it now next week we're going to be wrapping up the pod obviously on the final episode i think it's called a fair world and we'd like you to get in contact with us and send us your questions queries theories and sort of what you'd like to see in season two basically stuff like that so play four five six pod at gmail.com or at twitter it's not at Twitter, on Twitter, at Player456Pod. Send the stuff in, we'll try to cover them. And next week, uh, I think we'll try and do some Easter eggs and stuff like that that we have missed as well, because I was watching some quite interesting videos and stuff like that the last couple of days, basically, and there's a lot of stuff that we've missed, <laughs> even though we've Surely done not. such a deep dive. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we'll do that next week, but we want your input, so please send us your stuff in, and we'll try to get to as much of it as we can. But getting into this episode... Like you says, um, we'll, we'll start on the island, basically. Now, I read a few recaps of this, Colin, and 
a few people seem to have said he's made it to the mainland. I think he's still on the island. He's just sort of went from one bit of the island to the other. Do you know what I mean? I, my understanding is he's went to another a, a neighbouring island because he he did he uses the scuba gear to escape the island, doesn't he? Where the main thing is, and you saw in the last episode the the frontman and the guards get in the boat, didn't they? Right. Okay. Um, so I think it's a neighbouring island he's gone to uh, rather than the same one. Um, but yeah, I, I still think he's far from the mainland. You saw that with the, the, the patchy phone signal and stuff like that. Yeah, speaking about the phone, mate, were you keeping an eye on the battery? I was, yeah. Um, so he's down to 12% now. After um, six days? Six days and uh, fully immersion underwater. <laughs> um, so <laughs> he's, he's doing well. Yeah, he's doing good. So he gets there and he kind of is semi-successful in his endeavours to send a few things. Now, obviously we can't read what... His phone is saying basically, but he seems to be sending lots of videos and things like that. That seems pretty um, easy to see. Again, that's probably going to lead into season two. I'd imagine that the police will be chasing people and stuff like that, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to that, mate. Whoop. Right, we're here. He's getting chased about. How, how are you feeling at this point? What do you think, if you can remember watching this first time, was going to be the end game of this? Did you think at this point, right, he will get over the hill and get away? Did you see a success for him? Or did you think these guys are definitely going to going to catch up with him? I think that throughout the show, I kind of had high hopes that John Hobo was going to be the man to bring this all down. Um, he seemed to be a step ahead of everybody at certain points. He seemed to carry a little bit of luck with him. He seemed to be capable of outsmarting them and being in the right place at the right time. Um, however, when I saw that this was episode eight and it wasn't the final episode and it was looking like it was coming to an end either for him or the front man, I didn't see him being successful at this point because just because of the timing of the storyline that happened in episode eight. There was still a full episode nine to go and there was still a lot more to happen in terms of the three main players that I didn't think would happen without the front man. So my enthusiasm and my hope for him did kind of fade a little bit and to be fair, Looking at him on the second island, on the run, with what we found out was one bullet in his gun, the head front man and a bunch of guards after him, it's not overly hopeful, is it? He's, he's in with the best of chance. Yeah, and what did you think about the front man's call to bring me him alive? We know why he's done that, right? But, again, trying to think back to the first time, because that did jar to me a little bit the first time, like bring him back alive, because he doesn't appear like he... He's a torturer or anything like that. Like as if he's going to like torture the guy to get evidence out of him or, or anything like that. So that jarred a little bit. We obviously find out why he done it. But did that trigger anything in you when he said, "Bring me him alive"? Were you thinking, "Why does he want him alive? Just get rid of him, like you get rid of everybody else"? It did make me. It did make me wonder, but it certainly didn't make me put two and two together and get. Oh no, no, it certainly didn't do that. Um, I, I, the only thing that came to my mind perhaps was that he wanted to quiz this guy on exactly what he knew and how he'd got to know what he knew. Um, and that was my, where my thinking was, that he wanted he, this guy was certainly going to die, but he wanted to quiz him first of all. Um, but in terms of who he was and all that sort of stuff, no, definitely not. I was not ahead of the game on that one. No, no, absolutely nowhere near it. Again, hints towards the front man either being one of these high-level criminals that knows about the police or being in the police with his knowledge of the bullets, you've got five. One needs to be a blank. One needs to be left empty. You've already fired two. You've got one left. Normal people don't know that. 
No, I still don't really understand it. Like, I, don't, I don't really understand why the police have that mandate that you have to have one blank and one empty bullet in your chamber. I, that I, think I tried to figure it out and I couldn't understand it. I don't particularly... Right, well, where the empty chamber, I think, is how it's loaded, right? I think. So you can't set it off by accident and, like, kill somebody. And then, I don't know. If you if you fire a warning shot, maybe maybe it's in the Korean police rules that you fire a warning shot with the blank, right? And then, okay. you, then you fire at them with real bullets if they're still pissing about. I don't know. That would be how I would work it out. Somebody might know the reason yeah, behind. I, I, I didn't look into it. To know that. Yeah. So if you're um, in the Korean police, let us know. That'll be good. Somebody out there. There must yeah. be one. So let, let's get to the reveal then, Colin. Basically. One of the greatest reveals I think ever in telly, man. I can't believe it. <laughs> yes, it is quite quite the reveal. Um, basically, um, John Hall finds himself. We know where to go. He's on the cliff edge. Has a bit of a conversation with the front man. Front man tries to get him to come quietly. Tries to get him to surrender. It becomes quite clear he's not going to do that. And John Hall ends up firing a shot off. Shoots the front man in the shoulder, which doesn't seem to do much damage at all. And again, any small advantage that John Hall has at this point is now gone. He's got no bullets left. He's surrounded by guys with guns. And the front man just takes complete control of the situation despite being shot. Takes a few steps in front of him. And what's quite important here, Jack, is that he takes off his mask, but he does it with his back to everybody else. So none of the, none of the other guards see his face. I never um, even thought about that. Right, okay. Because we've, we've, we've learned all the way through this that as soon as they see your face, you're done. Um, and if everything's fair and everything's right in the game, then he would obey by that rule as well. So the, the other guards only see the back of his head, takes off the mask, and this is where you start to see the, the really good acting on this show between these two guys here, because I watched the dubbed version here, obviously watched the subtitled one previously. All the acting is in their eyes, basically, when they're looking at each mm-hmm. other here. The, the pain in their eyes, the the redness in their eyes, just the, 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 the sadness, the grief, the heart, the shame in some of places. It's just absolutely fantastic. Really, really, really good. And um, sadly for us, uh, our man John Ho ends up getting shot equally in the same place in his shoulder. And he falls right off the cliff into the water. And the gunman, uh, the, the gunman, I suppose the other gunman now, yeah, but the front yeah. man spends enough time watch, looking down to make sure that it doesn't come out of the scene, doesn't resurface. But is it enough time, Jack? No, of course it isn't. <laughs> if this guy is alive and it's the front man's just been shot in the shoulder. He's standing up, giving it big lips, and he's got such a good aim, and he purposely shoots him in the shoulder, I think. Not to kill him. That's what I think has has happened here. He's went, right, I'll shoot him in the shoulder. He'll definitely survive that. He's got a fifty foot fall into the water. I'll take a wee look. Kid on, I'm looking to satisfy the pink guys. And I know that my brother's hardy and will survive. I don't I don't to try to kill him at all. Well, why not just shoot him in the brain? Yeah. <laughs> I like that, the brain shoot him in the brain. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But uh, um, it's absolutely incredible the acting here, you're right, man. Like and like I'm the same as you. I had no idea this was coming. And I, I don't I don't know if it's because so much going on in the whole series. We're only an episode or two after Marbles, like your brain's absolutely fried. I'd kind of stopped thinking about who his brother was. Do you know what I mean? Like who? Well, I was kind of like not really trying to figure it out. I wasn't going, oh, maybe it's him, maybe it's him. It was at the back of my mind, to be honest with you. And then when he pulled the mask off, and he says, oh, in Hawaii or whatever it is, he says it's just like fuck me, unbelievable telling man. I thought, 
Yeah, I think what the show did really well up to this point is it almost it almost taken it a different path, and you'd forgotten about the search for the brother. Yeah, and John Ho's storyline now was all about getting away and escaping, and mm-hmm. you weren't the, the brother was almost taken out of the equation, and pur- it's, it's almost done purposely because they want this to be their big twist. They want this to be the shocker. Um, it's very HBO style, giving you the big shock and reveal, the big twist in the penultimate episode. Um, and and that's what they've done, and they've successfully taken you down that route by not really mentioning the brother or that search for a couple of episodes. Um, they let you guess it for yourself through the expression and through the the pain in their faces, and then they the third of the else they just make it abundantly clear when they say the name and they also they also say the word brother uh, during it as well. Yeah. And it's just it's fantastic, and a show that's got some wonderful that wonderful bits of acting in it. This is by far probably the best, or certainly up there, I think, with some of the great scenes in the show. Um, it doesn't matter that it was being dubbed at that point. You didn't, I didn't even think the fact that it was being dubbed because everything I needed was I was seeing in the actors' eyes, in their faces. It was fantastic. Yeah, and like I said, I think with a, like, again, I don't know if I'm drilling too deep, Frontman was shot in his left shoulder and he shoots his brother in, or he was shot in the right shoulder and he shoots his brother in the left shoulder. So it's that mirror image. And again, yeah. I don't really know if that's pushing towards that these two are mirror images Character-wise, like one's a good cop trying to do everything to save the normal people, whereas the front man is the opposite of that. He's doing everything to save the game, basically. And that mirror image, I think, might might have something to do with it. Um, but he's definitely alive. I think that's a, for sure. Yeah, I think in a show that has sort of in this season, it's in its way did a lot of stuff that's not just about the games and made it interesting. Like if you actually looked at the running time of this season and how many of it was spent actually doing the games, I bet you it's less than a third. And I think in season two, there's a hell of a lot of scope here to do a lot of backstory, to do a lot of discovery about who this front man is, how he ended up there, how he then became the front man, what he was doing before this. And um, we saw his flat, we saw some of the clues in there before, the fact he wasn't paying his bills. How does a guy that has supposedly been in the show and won the game and won all this money in the past end up living in a, a pokey little flat somewhere, not able to pay his rent? And then still become the front man. There's just so many questions about the the way he's moved and what he's done, which I hope season two covers. Um, I, I don't think season two is going to be just a a straight Squid Game two, all new characters, all new tasks. I don't think that that it's going to be that. I think there may be some of that to it, but there's a hell of a lot of discovery work and questions from this season still outstanding, which I hope to see answered. Yeah, just because the front man didn't pay his rent doesn't mean that he couldn't afford it. That's yeah, that's true. I mean, it could, that could be part of his disguise, isn't it? Living in the shadows sort of thing, uh-huh. pretending he's not just got all the money in the world in his bank account. So yeah, you're, you're right. So I think both these guys are going to be major players in season two. Yeah, what about yourself? I think it's, well, you just spoke about it there, mate, and I totally agree. I think there's so much scope, so many Easter eggs being planted already that, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a long time away and we will be back when it comes out, but uh, we're going to have to wait for a, a while there. We'll go back to our three, or two heroes and our one robo-villain, um, Sang-Wu, basically. So those three are surviving, bleeding from the exploding glass. There was sort of hints towards 67 ha- having a, a little bit of an injury, but they stagger back into the big dormitory room. And do you know what, mate? I've seen the pictures now. Yes! <laughs> Eight episodes in. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I took a screenshot watching the episode. I watched it. I watched this back on my iPad and I took a screenshot of it for you just in case you missed it. 
No, it was all I was looking at this time, to be perfectly honest with you. There's only there's only these three left. Um Ji Hun gets angry, confronts Sangwoo, and basically saying, Why did you murder that player in front of him on the glass bridge? Who had that all that expertise which enabled them to survive. Sangwoo is now, like I says, this robotic squid game player, Colin. Basically a capitalist murdering machine <laughs> who has no morals left. He's also, mate, he's also probably the first one of the three um, that's discovered or realised that only one of them is winning this. And he's quite quickly came came at ease with that and he's he's, he's not got any issues with that. I still think Jihun, you see later on his conversations um, with Sebok, I think he still thinks there's a chance for more than one of them to survive this and share the money and stuff like that. Sangwe already knows this isn't the case and he, he knows that the friendship he's got is over with Jihun, you can tell that by the way he speaks to him. He has a real go at him here, calls him pathetic, calls his life pathetic. And Jihun sparks right back at him and saying, well, if I'm pathetic, if I'm such a failure and you're so great, how come we're both stuck in this bloody shithole sort of thing? And I think at that point, you their friendship is completely over. I think murdering the guy on the bridge was put it on its edge, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. But, this, but this, this sort of head-to-head tier absolutely ended it. There was no way back for them now. Sangwoo is a monster. He is a robo-squid. <laughs> Terminator type thing at this point <laughs> and so far away from the man that Jihun is and it's sad to see that in a way because of how far they go back but they're completely done as a duo at this point To be fair to Sangwoo his defence that the guy could have shared his knowledge earlier in the game but chose to keep it until he was at the front of the line and that he could have stalled and everybody could have died it's kind of fair enough again but again, that's that's a really r- rational, logical way of thinking of things that I'm coming from. I think he's, again, I hate him, but I don't hate what he's done now to save basically himself as well. Yeah, I, think, I think what you've just said there is, is a perfectly logical, it makes sense. But I think it makes sense to you and I, like sat in our houses just now with the heating on. Just had a lovely dinner and feeling pretty comfortable for life. Yeah. Um. For somebody in their position to come to that, it's almost like he's broken. He's almost got that sort of serial killer lack of empathy, and it's just everything's just operational: murder, kill, win. And that's why he's able to see things in this sort of really straight down the line way, which Jihan, being such a good guy and such a human, just isn't capable of. And he just says, nah, "I'm not having that. It's nonsense." Even though Sangwoo is correct to a point. But he's not correct in a way that I'd like to be correct myself, I don't think, because it's just so grim. Yeah, they bring out boxes with a nice suit in them, basically, for a black tie dinner that has been staged in inverted commas for their benefit. Um, this is when we're sort of confirmed that Shaybok has this massive shard of glass embedded in her side, and she's she's in a bit of a nick, really. Um, you've put something in the notes here, revealed from last week, there are shivers. Yeah, I didn't notice it. Yeah, we we spoke about last week about why they're all so filthy and dirty and why is there no showers. But she was there was a shower running in the background when she was at the sink dressing her wound sort of thing. Yeah, um, I think the so, shower maybe for the guards. I think she had toilets. I don't. But it was running in the background. So I don't think a guard was having a shower while she was. No, but I mean, guards. like, I don't think that they were given the choice to go for a shower. Is what I mean, like the. The 456 players. I, I thought, yeah, up to now I don't think they have been, but I think now these three have been able to use them there. Yeah, right, okay. Yeah, 
So, but it's a very small thing, but it's one that caused us a bit of debate last week. So I was glad to hear a shower running in the background. Yeah, it's dinner time now, but are they getting a potato this week? Mate, what a difference, right? Um, there's there's tableware, there's crockery, there's wine, there's no corn in the cob, there's no egg, and there's no raw potatoes. Um, it's a beautiful looking rare steak on the bone, glasses of red wine, and the, the two boys absolutely devour it. Um, but this is where you notice you've seen the glass already, but she's proper struggling. Think of what they've been eating and how poorly they've been. She gets this beautiful dinner put in front of her, and she can't even touch it. Yeah, it's took us eight episodes, and we've not mentioned the the makeup in the show, but they've really made 67 up to look really unwell here, and she looks like she's dying, which she obviously is. Don't know if you noticed as well, mate. Um, <laughs> the table's a big, massive triangle. <laughs> yeah, absolute triangle. They're yeah. all the opposite sides to it. Couldn't be, couldn't be any closer. It's it's really really clever. The the whole thing is is this brilliant. It's just yeah. I think that I think that's a case of like the triangles are obviously the ha- higher up guards. Um, I think this might be a hint towards your sort of higher up players. Yeah, maybe that's how the triangle guards have their dinner every night. Maybe, maybe yeah. But they have their dinner. It's kind of like a callback as well, I suppose, to when he was speaking to his daughter. I think he promised to take her for a steak dinner next year. Yes, he did. So, he so, he's get, so he's getting his steak dinner, just not eventually in the right place with the right people, basically. But yeah. he, he got that steak that he promised his daughter there. Yeah, and Sabok leaves over half the steak on her plate, mate, and it's probably the, the worst thing I've seen on the show so far after eight episodes. <laughs> that beautiful steak was wasted. <laughs> yeah, all the brains and shit like that, no. Nah, that, I could take it or leave that, you know, but that, that steak, man, come on. Yeah, and it's but this isn't just a. Like, it's not just like, have dinner, yum, yum, yum. We're going to clear up and we might leave some cutlery behind. Yeah. Like, massive plates. I, <laughs> I had issues with this. I, I, I just thought this was fucking despicable. Um, like, obviously, these people are awful and they are playing awful games throughout this. But to leave a steak knife for each player, get into that, obviously, last night together, just to hopefully get rid of one of them before the final game. I just thought, come on, give these guys a break. Like, this proper, they called it a feast, a celebration of how well they've done, congratulating them, and they turned it into something awful by leaving those knives that made them all paranoid, made them all horrible, and led to one of the saddest scenes in the show. Again, but this is the the morality of these challenges have been getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Like, with the marbles, it was a game. Again, one-on-one. After the tug of war where you were in a team and killed somebody, you were killing somebody by beating them at marbles. Now they're literally saying here, they're a knife go kill, like literally with your own hands. After the death game as well, yeah. which wasn't a proper game, was it? Really? So it's kind of unsurprising <laughs> that they've done this, man. Um, Seabog is in a bad way now, lying in her deathbed, basically. Jihan approaches her uh, and she's, so she's scared, uh, but he sort of assures her, look, if I was going to kill you, I would have done it when you were sleeping there, I'd sneaked up on you. Um, he, he, again, it's the childish nature of his thoughts and his purity and goodness that he still thinks that the two of them can win, you know? yeah, yeah, if they team up, man. So it's so it's, fucking sad. It's, it's yeah. awful. He does make the point as well of telling her that he's only got his knife with him as it's protection from that psychopath in points at Sangwoo. Yeah. Uh, so just a further example that that friendship was massively over. 
but they do the two of them sit talking and she's obviously a little bit further down the line than he is because the Frifka person that's not really opened up to him or anybody really she starts talking about family and why they were in the game, what they wanted to achieve, what they wanted to do from it. And it purposely, I think, leads to a conversation where she makes Jihan promise that if either of them survives, they'll look after each other's families. And Jihan's a little bit hesitant because he's still, like you say, he thinks, well, we'll both do it, it's fine, we're both going to be all right, we're the good guys. And sadly, that's not the case. But he eventually does make the promise that he will, if he survives and she doesn't, he will look after her family. Which I'm glad that he did, and I'm glad that she heard that because it's one of the last things she hears. Yeah, but I think in this year as well, with Jihun's daughter being ten and the little brother being ten again, so numbers. I didn't actually look into the number ten this week because I'm not feeling well, guys. So uh, just Google number ten numerology, and you can find it all by yourself. <laughs> uh, I'm getting a little bit lazy, but like I say, it's a little bit unwell. Jihun is furious, right? And he gets up and he's going to go over and stab. Sangwoo to death because he's fell asleep and dropped his knife. That's how you know he's sleeping. But Shebiok says, you're not that kind of person. You're a good person. Don't do it, she tells him before sort of passing out from her injury. Jihan realises, starts banging on the door and for a split second when those doors open, you kind of think, oh, somebody's coming. Somebody is coming, but they're bringing a box with them. So they're calling. They are, this man. Yeah, the lights come on and you, you suddenly see the amount of blood that, that Jihan's got just from tending to her for a minute because he's been banging that door and there's blood all over it. Uh, the lights come in, you see one guard and the others are behind him and you can't really see because of the pitch of the shot. That's so they're well, holding the yeah. coffin. Um, the one guard steps forward, you think, right, here's some help. And then the other guard steps forward and you see the coffin and you suddenly think, well, what's happened? Why do you need the coffin already? You turn around and you see that Sang Wu has awoken, obviously probably with the shouting and the knocking of the doors. And he's standing over um, a now dead Sabiuk, sadly. It's so sad, right? Because she's just saved his life 10 seconds ago. Yeah. Because I think Jihoon would have, could have went over and murdered him because they, he knows that he's twisted in a psychopath now. He could have went over and stabbed him and he would have. But Sabiuk said, don't do it. And then got murdered. She was going to die anyway, I think. But that doesn't mean that he should go over and slash her neck like that, saying, yeah. man. Not at all. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And it's like you say, he, she's just saved his life to then be killed by him. It's just another sucker punch in the gut that this show does to you. Um, we've already just seen in the last couple of episodes um, Ali dying, the old man dying, supposedly. Spoilers. Um, and that they were all quite guttural. They were all quite sad. And here's yet another one that gets added to it. You're starting to find these characters impacting yourself and them. They're starting to impact each other on their death now. And it's really, really hard to watch at times. Yeah, a lot of the, a lot of these TV shows do have a, a romance, like I'm, isn't it a sexist thing that they put romance in TV a lot for female audiences? They do, they do right? That's what happens in a lot of these TV shows. That's not the nature here at all of Shabuk and Jihun's relationship. There's, there's no romance here. There's, there's no love story. It's like almost paternal, and they just so happen to become friends and allies bonded over their sort of similar stories and stuff like that and it's the soundtrack is f- just phenomenal here man Un- unbelievable astonishing heartbreaking whatever you want to call it because I don't know what the technique's called where it's just the music you hear you can't hear the action the the banging the shouting the screaming the crying and it just plays the music over it and Jihoon's getting held down by one of the pink guys and he cries did you notice his tear yeah, ran down over his other eye. Oh man, Jesus Christ! 
That was me, broken again, absolutely in bitch. <laughs> I'm nearly great in talking about it right this second, man. Unbelievable telly. Yeah, the music throughout the whole show has been fantastic. It's a really great use of often classical music. Um, at the end of this episode is actually one of the few times you actually hear a lyrical song. Um, but the music they use at all times throughout the show is just brilliant. It really fits. They're really good at finding the right thing for the right atmosphere. And it's just an astonishing scene again where you see the pain in somebody's face. No words are needed. The music and the the, the, the pictures are enough. And it is. It's awful. It's just so, so sad. And we're here, basically. That's us. We're at our last two. They're going to have to kill each other. We know that because we don't want to disappoint these VIPs, the owls, the the deers. We can't have that now, can we, Colin? No, we can't because they, they could just have fought there and then with their steak knives. But the the guard stopped that obviously because there's obviously a a grand final, a final set piece that's going to happen in the next episode, and that's the. The main event, the World Cup final, so to speak, and that's what we've all been leading to, and that's what they want. And I, I dare say, there's VIPs coming, there's big money getting spent on gambling for it and everything else. So to let them just kill each other in the dormitory would have been a bit of an anticlimax, I suppose, which is why they didn't let them. Um, and you've got your final two, and I suppose when you sit down and look at it, it, it makes sense that these two are the final two. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah, it had to be from the start. I think most people would have guessed that could be how it was going to go. Obviously, you're not going to guess how it gets to that, but it really has to be these two because of the journey they've both been on and how one stayed so pure and one's completely broken because of the games. Yeah, exactly. As uh, the whole series so far has been a one massive antidote uh, to how unfair like the real world is, basically. Like it's full of scumbags, the VIPs as a characterization of that unfairness and the entertainment and entitlement of the really mega rich basically um, and the way that they treat people as nothing more than what fucking toys or things that can be used dispatched, gambled upon like like horse racing basically um, which obviously was one of the sort of main things that they started with with Jihan as well so yeah lots and lots going on mate but we're not, we're not quite finished, how do we wrap the shop and then we'll wrap up yeah, so the show wraps up with uh, the final scenes. Show the front man in his room with his mask off, cleaning his bullet wind. He's looking in the mirror, and it's his brother looking back at him in the mirror. Um, you kind of see that he's going through some issues here. He's, there's pain in his face, it's quite clear to see. And then that score kicks in again, Jack, and it's fly me to the moon. And the, the, the picture sort of fades away, and you see Sabiuk being cremated, and that's the end of the episode. It's a, a beautiful end to the episode, actually. The music's great. Mm-hmm. Um, Flyweed I think has used that a lot of funerals it's used that a lot of the sort of services like that and, and it, yeah yeah yeah, and it's it's nice to see something like that in this <clears> circumstance <throat> even though somebody's died in the most horrific way she did get a sort of send off of a serenade almost because she deserved it was it Fly Me to the Moon that was playing the first time we seen the little mini band I'm not sure mate I need to go back and check because I'm pretty sure I remember making a point about the ironic music choices of criminals in all TV shows as a bit of a trope I'm pretty sure it's the same song that's getting played with such a different meaning this time because when we spoke about it last time I'm sure we said if it is that if it is that song is it I can't remember it's annoying me we said that's quite an upbeat song it's got these lyrics about fly me away or whatever and that's nice Whereas he's doing bad things, whereas this time it's got a totally different meaning. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, 
It's just great, great music choices again. Like I say, they've not used a lot of songs of lyrics in the show. This might be the first one, really. Or certainly the second one. It's been a real classical score before now. And it's just a perfect choice for that scene at the end. It's It was a great way to end the episode. That's it, right. No questions, queries and theories this week. Um, like I say, send them in for next week with your, your input. We will try and get to them all. It's one lucky day as the season finale next week and like I said Colin we'll try and cover some of these other eggs that we've missed sound good yeah just uh, I think we're past the point of spoilers at this point everybody's seen the finale they know what's coming I've got a lot to say next week about a hairstyle yeah I don't think you're the only one mate <laughs> so yeah we'll have that to say next week but yeah thanks Jack that was a good one again yeah speak to you soon guys cheers <laughs>